Welcome to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I'm a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. And Jamal, I think since we last spoke, you've been lifting. Oh, yeah. No. I'm getting swole. I'm getting real swole. Um, <laughs> You're ready for Jesus to return. <laughs> it's the second coming of Jesus and I'm going to beat him up in a boxing ring. Um, have you also been, this is, this is the question behind yeah, the question, yeah. you've been lifting, but have you been resting? Uh, yeah, look, I have been resting actually. So, so very legitimately, I um, I do a lot of running. I'm a cardio guy, not a lifting guy. Um, but um, I, I I've been taking it pretty cruisy for the past oh, four or five months, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'm keeping things up, but not really um, not really pushing too hard. So yeah, I I have been resting. Yeah. And how have you been feeling about that? Yeah, I was, it's been good. It's, it's been actually been a really positive kind of thing to focus on other stuff in my life at the moment. And, you know, not have. No, there are seasons for things, right? There was a big running season I had, you know, earlier this year and into late last year, and and now it's not a big running season. Now it's a it's a, it's a big work season, or it's a big, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, diplomacy season, or it's a big hangout with Jacob season. You know, it's all, all these things. Yeah, many seasons. Yeah. Um, now speaking of seasons, we've got a pretty good side hustle going on here, right? Like this, this is a real job for us, yeah. No, we're not making any money from it. But oh well, in, I enjoy it. In, like in, it's in, a. In that case, do you need? Do you need to make money if you're enjoying yourself? What? The exposure, Jamal. The exposure. <laughs> the exposure. That we're getting. Yeah, the exposure to those fifty people who listen. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I mean, so, I mean, based on that, I would say that yeah, society's telling us this this project is kind of useless, then, isn't it? Because we're not we're not making any money. We're not we're not monetizing it. We're not doing. Uh, we're not, we're not we're not hustling and. And if you think it's not useless, christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. Give us a shout out, like send some love. Yes. Um, but this this all does link in to an article that you've sent us today about about work and about the kind of the endless the endless toil and the, as you alluded to before, the, the need for rest. Exactly right. There's a quote here. The, if the good of work gets wrapped in a 24-7 global economy where productivity tools and wall-to-wall Wi-Fi mean you never need to stop working. If money never sleeps, then nor, it seems, need you. I mean, I, that's certainly my attitude to life and I, I, I never sleep and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a joyous, happy shell of a human being. <laughs> Well, there we go. Case no, closed. Case closed. No. Um, so, w- what is this article about, Jake? Well, so this article is precisely about work and rest, and it's subtitled "How do we remain human in a world that worships toil?" And uh, it's it's written by Justine To, who's at the Center for Public Christianity, and has written a book about work and rest. Uh, and she says that like work is a good thing, whether you love your work or not. Actually. Work is a good thing, but we live in a culture, she reckons, where work just rules our lives and it's everywhere. This is the endless hustle that you were talking about. Um, and, I mean, what do you make of that? Is, a, is that a thing? Does that point I, to I, reality? I absolutely think that's a, that's a real observation. So there's actually something I've been uh, discussing recently with some friends um, around, I, I don't know if it's just something since I've started doing, uh, you know, full-time professional work or yep. whether this is just actually uh, a more recent phenomenon that's just happened in the world but i've started to notice that um the default thing you used to do when you used to greet someone is like hey how are you going and the answer was good and now the default thing is hey how are you going and the answer is busy 100 percent. it's it's like 
the word busy is almost that shows that I'm important, right? Absolutely. I matter because yeah, yes. I'm busy. And, yeah. and yeah, and busyness is a is a flex. It's a moral good that shows you are doing good in the world and it's become meaningless, right? So yeah. so what I was talking about with friends is like how do I respond to that question now when busy is the default answer and I don't like what that means and it's also meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um but no, completely agree with the assessment of this article here that yes, the we live in a world that is obsessed with work, that is obsessed with, um, you know, that the sees everything in life as, you know, only valuable if it is, uh, if, if it is toil, if it is work, if it is something that can be commercialized. I think that's true on one level, but also I want to run a theory past you. Okay. So Justine's writing this from Sydney. Um, which is a really expensive place to to live. It's a city of strivers, she describes it as. We're in Canberra, which is also, it must be said, an expensive city to live. Um, But my sense is that I I reckon at least some people in Canberra have a real, like, work-life balance is a really important thing. And what that means is that you do your work and you, you... got everything that happens in that world and then your weekends and your rest and your whatever you've got to be optimizing it and right. you've got to be making all of the trips you can and making sure that your kids get the best experience that they possibly can and it's not paid work it's not salaried work but you've got to just fill every waking moment with so, the good so yes, stuff i would completely yeah. agree with that and i may be going to going to amend my earlier statement which is that the, the world is not obsessed with work the world is obsessed with productivity yeah. Right. The, the, yep. the world is absolutely obsessed with productivity. And um, there's a book I read recently, actually, which I'll give a plug to. It's called um, 4,000 Weeks, uh, named 4,000 Weeks because that is about the average human lifespan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it, it kind of the – sub, the subtitle is, you know, A Productivity Book for Mortals. And it's a guy who um, – I feel like we've done one of his articles before, actually. But it's a guy who um, – essentially used to be a productivity guru, wrote for The mm-hmm. Guardian and wrote for a few, few different newspapers, um, and essentially came to a point where he realized that uh, yeah, it's, it's very um, – it's it's pop Heidegger. So it's just, it's just taking yep. Heidegger's kind of theories of time and whatever else and turning it into a, a, a palatable thing for the 21st century. But the whole premise is that, you know, you will never achieve everything that you want to achieve. It's just impossible. It's not going to happen. And the pursuit of trying to achieve all of these things is actually going to, A, make you achieve less and, B, make your whole life less meaningful and your whole yeah. life more problematic. And so, yeah, I, I've definitely heard this book, even if I've not read it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was a beautiful book, um, but it, it definitely talks about this. It definitely talks about this idea that, yeah, it's not only just, you know, yeah, you can have people that are obsessed with work and want to have three side hustles and earn hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Or you can also have people that have a separation in their mind between their work and their life, but they're still applying a productivity yep. mindset to their life. Yeah, totally. And and so Justine Toad describes this as anti-human conditions. She goes on to quote Jonathan Malisich, who wrote a book called The End of Burnout. Um, and he writes that the ceaseless, obsessive American work ethic is actually a kind of demon mm. haunting him, uh, where, where a society almost totally under its power, he says. Yeah. Uh, how do you react to that? How do you respond to that? Is is I mean, is so, this productivity kind of demonic? I mean, it's, I, I think if you take demons for their kind of theological purpose, then absolutely, mm-hmm. right? Like, so in Buddhism, we don't have the devil as such or anything like that. But like, you know, there are 
allegorical demons in Buddhism. There are there are allegorical uh, hell beings. She does say, "Is the D word metaphorical?" One can only yeah, hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, but maybe yeah. it's not. But right? yeah, yeah, metaphorical. So you've got hell beings. You've got hell in, beings in that, Buddhist mythology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Buddhist mythology, and you know, and those hell beings do represent things that are. Are problematic to humans or bad human emotions or that kind of thing and like you know it's very easy in buddhism because you have this real spectrum of you know enlightenment to non-enlightenment so the further something is away from enlightenment the more it is connected with an attachment or a craving or an mm-hmm. aversion of some kind right so it's very very easy to create a hell being demon that is all about this one <laughs> particular attachment because that's kind of the whole function yes. there and yeah yeah um so no I, I i can completely get with that i think i think um productivity obsession is a demon is a um you know the 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 idea of efficiency and optimization is a demon um so yeah i I, i'm totally down with that um and i I imagine in christianity you could probably make a similar argument yeah absolutely um and and there are pictures of hell like or or visions of hell where it's just non-stop work where there where there's never any rest and uh, actually that's one of the ways that the Jewish scriptures, but also the Christian New Testament, like describe, you know, heaven, eternity, the kingdom of God as a place where there's rest. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So right. like the, the criteria for coming to Jesus is, are you worn out? Are you burned out? Excellent. You're, you're eligible to come to Jesus. <laughs> well, and, and I think there's a thing where like nearly all spiritual practices are inherently restful. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm the first person to admit that meditation can be a lot of hard work, but the meditation is only a lot of hard work after you rest. So I, I, I think I might have mentioned this before, but like a Ajahn Brahm has a really interesting approach to running meditation retreats. So he often runs nine or 10 minute, 10 mm-hmm. day meditation retreats. They're the common ones. And in a lot of meditation retreats, you go straight into meditation. You're straight into kind of like observing the breath and doing all that. And Ajahn Brahm, bans meditation on the first three days of his retreat well i think we we talked about this because I, I went on a prayer retreat yeah. earlier in the year and was just when i stopped and was doing nothing i was just it was amazing how much tiredness i was yeah. just carrying and, it was incredible and yeah, yeah and so, and so all spiritual practices are i would say only possible with rest but also in themselves are often restful you know i think one of the reasons why you know in islam you pray five times a day is to take five moments a day to stop and reflect mm. and just not be focusing on whatever it is you're, you need to, you know, you need to be doing. Um, obviously there's the Sabbath, which is a huge, you know, period of rest in, in Judah Christian religions, you know, yeah, it's, it's like every, every religion I think recognizes the spiritual value of rest. And I, I might not go so far as to say that rest is holy, but I would oh, say, I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I well, I, I would say that rest is a prerequisite, right? I, I think it's that. It's that you rest may be holy in that it is the only way through to spiritual enlightenment or through to spiritual understanding is one that involves a level of rest and dropping of the burdens of life. So there's two like big things in the Christian tradition and and Jewish as well. Um, around rest, like you mentioned Sabbath, that uh, and and Justine Toe mentions it here that in the Jewish and Christian creation stories, God didn't lift on the seventh day. God rests yeah. on the seventh day. Uh, and one of the one of the ways I love understanding that is like God rested, and 
do you think that you don't need to rest? Are you better than God? If God <laughs> yeah, can yeah, yeah. rest, why are you not resting? Like, you're you're more important than God. You have to be busier yeah, than God, yeah. you know. Well, I, um, I think there is a thing, right? Like, and it, you know, it is a... It is absolutely a thing in society that talks about, you know, what is more important and what is everything. Actually, there's a there's a great piece of um, 21st century um, nomenclature, which is um, Dolly Parton re-recorded nine to five with an additional verse about working five to nine <laughs> uh, and, and about doing a side hustle, right? And like, you know, all of the things in nine to five just, you know, being like, you know, there's another verse that's about working five to nine after your other job. And it's just like, but like, that is a thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the other thing just to, to track back to you, you're mentioning holiness, right? Is in the list of the 10 commandments, like the Sabbath is a, the only one that gets an explanation yeah. of all of the of all of the Ten Commandments. But the the phrasing is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Mm. With the idea being that if holy means kind of sacred, set apart, protected in in some sense, that rest doesn't just happen. Like and, and I think again, I think Justine's getting to that in her article here that left unchecked work will rule your life and we kind of might romanticize a pre-industrial revolution kind of world i know enough farmers who like would just work all day every day because there's work there that's going to be done and there's always work there that's going to be need to be done and so if you're going to rest you have to be intentional about it you have to stop so, so what what is holy about rest? I I, I want to go there for a second because, like, I think we can both accept that there is a holiness at least associated with rest. But yep. in your conception, what is the actual spiritual sacredness that is inherent in rest? I I think the thing that is sacred about rest is that it tells us that we are not defined by our work, that our work is not the most important thing about us. Um, especially the idea that you don't need to deserve rest because it, there is a thing that I'll rest when I I just need to do that. My old soccer coach used to say, like, work, then rest. And that works really well for a soccer game because make sure you've done the running and you're in position and then pause for a minute and catch your breath, right? But, like, we apply that to so many things. I, I just need to achieve this or achieve that. I've, I've got a mate who um, has been working in a – what's not supposed to be a real high pressure job but has been a real high pressure job for like the last year because it's always just oh we just need to finish this project we just need to finish that project and then we're all going to take a breather and it's going to be a bit calmer and it's not because there's always another friggin' project right right so it's this idea that it so it's more of a counterweight to something that is unholy right so that the, yeah. a work obsession takes you away from god takes you away from spiritual fulfillment and so rest is that thing that prevents that from happening and, and it yeah and it reinforces two things in your life which is that i i matter irrespective of what i do and have done um and and so that then like it it it's a way in which we receive grace and and actually in the christian tradition it's a a way in which we learn to trust god so associated with the sabbath rest is this idea that Every seven years, the people of Israel were supposed to just let the land lie fallow and not plant crops or do any like just so let the land rest. The land yeah, gets yeah. a rest as well. 
And you you got to trust that in the six years before that, you've saved up enough grain and enough other stuff that you can actually do that rest. So, like, yeah, it, it teaches us reliance on God as well. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's fascinating. I am... Um, there's so many layers to this. I, 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 I'm going to go to the Protestant work ethic layer because this, this has been on the <laughs> yeah, shelf yeah, to yeah. talk to you about for a while. This yep. is the right time to talk about it. But like, what the hell is with Protestant work ethic? Because I, 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 I get everything you're saying, but I also think that particularly in your specific version of Christianity, there's a real obsession with work. And, and I would argue that part of the hustle culture, productivity, obsessiveness we have now is directly related back to Protestant work ethic, particularly Anglican English work ethic, right? Like I think, I think the, it actually comes from Northern Germany more, right? Well, yeah, so Reformed, even, even closer, Lutheran, Lutheran, even yeah, yeah, yeah. closer to you. Yeah, but, Max Weber is a sociologist right. who coined the phrase, right? And, and, yeah. And, and just to kind of finish my my attack line before I give you a chance <laughs> to defend here, the like there is a through line directly from this idea that how much you work and how hard you work is a measure of your worthiness to God and holiness and, you know, this kind of real kind of Puritan style, like, you know, like that you are wholly based on the work you do. Mm-hmm. And what we have now, which is that, you know, yeah, that that your value is about how busy you are, that this kind of productivity, cult of productivity, we want to call it that, you know, the, the cult of productivity in society is all bought into the only way to have a truly meaningful life is to be the most productive and eke out, you know, complete efficiency with everything. Like it's Mm -hmm. a one for one there. So, I mean, like, you know, please enlighten me with, with your Protestant work ethic ways. (laughs) So I think there's two things there. And the, the first is a theology of work that goes back to Martin Luther, actually. Um, But that is that, all work is inherently valuable because there was this view pre-Reformation that actually the and and actually in in some branches of Protestantism today that the most valuable work you can do is work for God, and so to be a a minister, a priest, to be a monk, to be a that you are doing the real valuable work, and other people are just kind of doing the stuff that makes society work. But but if you if you're doing really valuable work, then you, you're set aside for God. And Luther said, well, actually, that's bunkum because God wants us to love our neighbors. And so if I'm, his classic example is if if I'm making shoes, then I do that in a Christian way, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making really good shoes, right? Because then I'm actually loving and selling them at affordable prices um, because that that part gets missed sometimes, right? Because then then I'm loving my neighbor, right? So, So for Luther, all of a sudden, just about all work becomes valuable, heavenly, godly work. Um, and you, you can probably see where this runs into problems then though, right? Because if all work is godly and is service to God, well, then the harder you work, the right. more you're loving your neighbor and the more you're serving God. And all. And so I think that's where it comes from. But I will just say that... um. The historian Lawrence R. Iannacone, I I don't know him, but he's well enough known to be cited here on Wikipedia, has written that the most noteworthy feature of the Protestant ethic 
thesis is its absence of empirical support. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll just kind so of throw that out sure, as a, but, a counterweight. But, but yeah, but, but like you I, can see where that comes from, right? I can see where that comes from. But but I guess it's I, even if it's not empirically supported, it is pervasive in your culture. I think I think there's a there is a sense of and I I, well, I, I get the Luther look link. look yes and no because the Protestant work ethic stuff I, I think is particularly caught up in the United States um, and and America I, th- I think that's where Max Weber's doing his um, his sociology and his, his so, that's where uh, he develops uh, his for the for the unsociologists theory. of us uh, can you can you go into Weber for a second so Weber is one of the just best most influential political theorists of the late 19th early 20th century and he's best known um, particularly connected with study of like he studied India and China and you know when Europe was becoming a little bit more cosmopolitan minded um, but yeah so particularly politics sociology he, he was a, a big name in those fields yeah. Right, and, and and so he 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 came up with the. Protestant He's a German, work ethic. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But he came up with the Protestant work ethic. But I think particularly connected with America, because the the significant thing to think about in this context is that in Germany, even today, although it's getting less, like none of the shops are open on a Sunday. Yeah, all you can do on a Sunday is like hang out with your family. And go on a picnic, and I don't even know if you can play organised sport or whatever. So, so there's this whole cultural day of rest that happens there. That like that's the that's a deeply Christian thing so, as well. And so you've got the if you've got the work and the rest kind of balanced, and your work matters. But there's also a day in which it's impossible to work because no one's working. Then you know it, it gets less crazy. So, so was Weber. Uh, was Weber articulating the Protestant work ethic as a criticism, or as a kind of, or was he lending weight to that argument to say that that is actually a way of being holy? No, he, I don't think he was writing it as the, like he wasn't a, theo- the, a theologian. <laughs> he, he, uh, he wasn't writing theology. Yeah. I, I think he was just observing social practice. Sure. So and, and there, and there, he was saying be... there is a, there is a Protestant work ethic that's happening here. As a kind of a well, sociological saying, descriptor, this is exactly this is why. Right. And and so like for him, are. that was a the the Protestantism of it is yeah. an explanatory theory, right. and and particularly the subtitle of the book is the spirit of capitalism. Sure. Um, and so he's arguing that capitalism arises out of Protestantism, yeah. and so if he's if he's advancing any particular theory there, it's like, hey, look how good Protestantism is because it's given us capitalism. Right. And, um, and, and, and that's contested these days. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I understand what you're saying in that, you know, there's nothing theologically about that. But, like, I mean, if you take... Oh, there's a whole bunch of unhealthy practices yeah. that get associated with religions that aren't especially theological. We know right. this, right? Yeah. But I, I, I guess I want to push you on that a bit because, like, if you take... Luther at their word and say, well, yeah, okay. Like, and, and from, from what I understand of that original Lutheran argument, it is also quite anti-Catholic, right? Because you're trying to go, well, look at all these monks who are sitting in their high towers doing nothing and actually not kind of contributing to the world and are just kind of sitting there, you know, studying random angels on a pin, well, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there, look, there's an, there's an aspect of that, but I mean, like Luther was a monk and he was an academic. Like yeah. he, he, he worked his entire career 
was at a university, right? Like, right. so he's and hardly not ivory tower. Well, and that might have like, been a post-Lutheran. And, 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 and there's definitely a critique of Catholicism in there, but the the criticism isn't, oh, what are these monks doing and these priests and what are, they're wasting their time? That's not the critique. The critique is that actually the the shoemaker and the farmer and the, the housewife, Luther, like, has a pretty good place for sure. women in this, right? He's like, he says... Changing nappies is holy work. Sure. And so it's not that being a monk is somehow unholy work. It's it's just if you're a monk, you're not doing more holy work than the woman who's changing nappies or the man who's changing nappies, yes. for that matter. Yes, but I, I guess I haven't heard from you yet an explanation as to how that doesn't lead to what Weber described as Protestant work ethic, right? Like I think I – it. I can accept that that's not the you know, the original intention. Oh, it's is because you pro... because your work isn't the only thing that gives you value, right? It's okay. not the only thing that matters, right? And... But but so, so Luther's reacting against a view that says, well, your work is completely unimportant mm. if you're not monking it up or, or whatever, right? Okay, yeah. and, and so is is there an argument then within Lutherism within Protestantism, I guess, more broadly? that kind of does articulate that, that actually does explicitly go, yes, all work is valuable, but also you all have value outside of your work? Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is Sabbath, right? right. Like, and, and this is what I'm saying, is that, that the practice of Sabbath teaches us grace, right? And, and the, I mean, the meta-argument of Protestantism, but actually Christianity as a whole, and I think, I think most Catholics and Orthodox people would agree with this as well, is that, like salvation comes from grace and not works right and your value as a human being is is a gift of god and then there's a whole bunch of good stuff to do but you're you're not defined by how well or otherwise you do it so it starts with the value and leads into the works rather than starting with the works and winding up with the value so maybe then what weber is actually articulating then is less a theological argument that has turned into a social system in capitalism but actually more of an observation that early capitalists probably used religious arguments to justify their own ends, right? Because I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 I inherently, I, without having studied Weber in a lot of detail, inherently I look at Weber's. I haven't argument. read him for years, right. just to just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. but I, I look at Weber's argument and I go, yes, that makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Like I, th- I think if yep. you think about, oh, I, and, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to the extent of yay capitalism, but I would go, yes, observationally, I can see how that you know religious protestantism can lead to a system like capitalism but maybe what maybe the directionality is going the other way where it's that the early capitalists and the industrialists are finding a religious excuse to tell their workers here's why you should work for me 15 hours a day and you know get paid nothing because god will reward you later kind of thing that well and, and i think what sociologists today would say as well is that part of what Weber is describing is actually just the immigrant experience, right. particularly if you look at places like the United States or, or Australia. Or, and, and if you're looking at northern European migrants to those places who tended to be minorities, tended to migrate a little bit later than everyone else and were doing so in in no small part for economic reasons to kind of get ahead and better themselves and like they worked really hard in the same way as Greeks and Italians and then Lebanese and Chinese people came into Australia and well in fact the Chinese people came to Australia very long time um, and were praised for their work ethic right like 
Yeah. yeah. It, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's a particularly different phenomenon yeah, to okay. that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one layer I do want to go to here in this article is um, I, I want to, I guess, caution against what I think is a very normative reaction if you agree with this article, right? Which is to go, well, yes, we need to rest more. And yes, you know, we we need to stop work from overtaking mm-hmm. our lives and whatever else. And I think a very normal reaction to that is to really double down on this idea of work-life balance mm-hmm. and to really double down. And even if you're rejecting the life side of it needing to be super productive, but I think there is a thing of like, oh no, I need to really be firm on my hours. I need to be really firm on, you know, all of Well, these. there's definitely an aspect of boundaries, right? Like yes. this is the holiness of Sabbath yes. as a practice, right? It has to be ring-fenced right. in some and, way. And, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, not, I'm not arguing at all against boundaries here. Good. But I, yeah. Um, but I think what I am kind of wanting to put out there is, I guess, it, I, I guess there's a slightly Buddhist approach of the need to embed your practice in all of your life, right? And so what, what I would say here is that you know there are lots of people for whom work is a chore work is something you just have to do in order to pay the bills and Mm -hmm. i I don't want to take away from that or from people who are either out of choice or out of lack of choice are in that situation i think for people for whom work is just a thing you've got to do sure have a lot of boundaries make sure you have time away from work don't get taken advantage of uh, make sure you're fairly compensated for all of the work you do but I think there is a an approach that is more Buddhist or at least is more spiritual in my view, which is finding ways, whatever those ways are, to make your work an expression of your life and an expression of the things you care about and the things you want in the world that don't inherently make it this dichotomy between chore and not chore. You know, like I, I think trying, you know, I... I, th- I, th- I, th- I think you do this uh, quite deliberately, right? But you, know, you are a minister. Your actual job is so interconnected with the things and approaches <laughs> you want to yeah. do in your life. Like I, I would, I would hazard a guess that the the boundaries between work and life for you are so blurred that they don't know they exist. Well, and I think there's there's an aspect of what you're describing which is and you've acknowledged this but is can be a bit idealistic for right. like you know do something that you love and you'll never work a day in your life no, it's not that i know i know but um there is also an an aspect of the idea of work life balance that what it means is what people are really saying is employment life yes. balance because even if you've got a job like even if your paid employment is something that really monotonous that you don't get a whole lot of enjoyment and meaning and stuff out of, I'm willing to bet that there is other work that you do in your life that you do get enjoyment and meaning out of, whether it's a a hobby or whether it's a like, and and the idea of work-life balance in some ways is a bit privileged and almost whisper it but a little bit of like white middle class male because we know the stats on the amount of unpaid work that women do compared to men right right? and and so like it is work to make dinner and to tidy the house and to like do all this other stuff that has to be done um and and, but then the question of what rest looks like is really because because you're almost back in the realms of like well do i productivity eyes everything well, and, and, and and absolutely and i think i want to add a layer here that i yeah. think the work-life balance is um 
it's a false flag. It's something that I yep. think people strive for. That it's it's what you strive for when you don't have boundaries, right? I think realistically, yep. you know, you should have boundaries, and that kind of happens inherently. And a better phrase I've heard kicking around is work life integration, which I think if you don't have boundaries is terrible, right? <laughs> if you don't have boundaries, work life integration looks like working until nine p.m. at night, or totally. you know, me finishing yep. this up and going home and doing some more work. Yep, just schedule some emails for yeah, a.m. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. But if you do have boundaries. Work-life integration is actually this beautiful thing where what you do for a vocation or what you do do as employment actually ends up, you know, being integrated with who you are as a person and as an Mm -hmm. individual and actually, you know, what you, you bring your work self to the world and you bring your non-work self to work and it's actually integrated in such a way that, you know, it's absolutely not a do a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. But it is a, you know, I go to work and I work in a field that I deeply care about. And I personally am very, very happy going to work, even when there's really frustrating shit going on, Mm -hmm. because it's like, actually, I can see the things that I'm doing as part of this that matter to me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's still work and I still need boundaries and I still need rest and I still need to do all these things, but I actually properly integrate myself with that. Well, and see, I think this is where actually like Luther's theology of work goes almost a step further than that, which is to say, yeah, you bring all of yourself to work and that is why work is an opportunity to serve your neighbor. Right. And even if your work is something that is that you really don't like, you know, you're, you're a garbage truck driver or a cleaner or the the other the things that are less glamorous in our culture right it's like but you're loving people when you do that right Right. like imagine if the bins didn't get picked up right like so even if you're not enjoying that and finding a heap of inherent meaning in that actually by you being there and bringing all of yourself to that you're getting to love other people in a way that actually in some other jobs you don't get to love other people all that all that well. Well, and I would argue that in every job, in every version of employment, that if you truly a have boundaries, but b bring your genuine full self to that role and your full spiritual self, you will find things that can be expressions of that self and really genuinely positive uh, ways of being in the world that will turn that into less of a chore or into something mm-hmm. that does actually, you know, provide value back to your life, not just financially. I do just want to, like, push back on one other little aspect of this is, like, yeah, what about just the idea of work-rest balance? Mm-hmm. Because a, an idea around the practice of Sabbath that um, a Christian author, John Mark Comer, he wrote a book recently called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I love. And his argument is that if you're taking a Sabbath, if you're you're taking a proper day of no work once a week, that you can't be running the rest of your life at 120% and then stop for a day. He's like, you just can't. And so by actually ring fencing that day and saying, this is a day that is unproductive, that I don't have any agenda for, that a a day to pray and play is how one author put it that I love, that that that's actually going to slow down and give you more time in the rest of your week, which I think is a cool idea. And one of the best things I ever heard about having a Sabbath was um, one pastor said he would always make sure that he had freezer meals or like, you know, leftovers or whatever in the freezer so that on his Sabbath, 
If he felt like cooking, if that was what he wanted to do, he could cook dinner. And if he didn't, he'd just get the freezer meal out. Yeah. Whatever, like to, yeah. to just liberate himself from the work of sure. cooking on that yeah, day. Yeah. No, yeah. I completely agree with that. And uh, the, uh, the, the... Can't believe we haven't spoken about this. I love Sabbaths. I'm sure awesome. we have, yeah. yeah. I, and look, and I, I think it's one of those things I, I need to try and get better at with Sabbaths and I need to try and actually observe that a bit more. We have, in Buddhism, you have Upoya days, which is uh, the full moon day uh, every month, which is mm-hmm. kind of... The idea then is actually you go and spend that day in the monastery. You can kind of do a one-day yep. retreat that day. But yeah, absolutely. I think um, I've had various point moments in my life where I've tried to observe that in a greater sense and then not, you know, less so. And mm-hmm. But I, I think, if anything, though, I actually think this lends itself to my broad argument, at least in my own life, This you know, in the past year or so, I think I've actually been less observant of some of those particular practices or less observant of even meditation and that kind of thing but I think that is actually a direct result of finding ways and actually genuinely living my life in a more spiritually aligned mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. That the there is still absolutely benefit in all those things, but I don't need those things in the yep. same way. Like I don't need to be meditating every day to get through life. I, I'm I've set up my life now in a way that I'm very happily getting through life as it is. Meditation is a nice thing to do every, you know, when I can do it because it, it's obviously beneficial. But it's not one of those like, oh, if I don't do that, then I'm going to be an emotional mess, and I've, I've yeah. got to actually, you know, I've got to cut kind of life's time. running in such a way that you're you're more centered, right? Generally, and, and, and I think part of that is because yeah. I'm bringing Buddhist values and bringing Buddhist teachings into my life, which includes, you know, finding ways to really integrate the way that I work and the the, the what I do in my vocation with with what I do in. in the rest of my life right and yeah. the last thing i'll say on that this year has been a perfect example of that where i took a holiday this year to go to thailand and play a board games tournament where for the days of the board games tournament i was absolutely putting in more emotional <laughs> and physical energy than i would put into a day of work you know a game went for six hours and it was more draining than any day of work i'd had and that was my holiday. That, yeah. that, that was my rest. <laughs> I went and did that. And, and yeah, and I think my colleagues thought I was crazy. I had mm. another colleague go and yeah. go sit on a beach in Thailand and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why aren't you sitting on this beach with me here? And I just went, but actually I don't need to go sit on a beach. My, yep. I, you know, maybe I have a little bit of physical tiredness to, to eke out, but like I don't need that deep rest because actually my life is fulfilled. And the the um, psychologists will tell us right about um, things which give you energy and things that drain energy from you. And and if a board game is giving you energy, awesome, that's great. And and this is one of the things is like rest is not rest is not rest, right? right. Like I I enjoy playing computer games just as a relaxation fun thing, but I know that like one or two hours of playing a computer game, great, filling me up, giving me energy, whatever six or seven hours that's like there's a not just a point of diminishing returns there's a point of reverse returns right where all of a sudden it's draining me and i've not actually rested because i've been doing this what is ostensibly a leisure activity so it's about knowing yourself as well right there you go. Life advice. Life so advice. Christian, Christian and Buddhist. Buddhist in a bar. Well, well, the Christian and Buddhist, Buddhist did walk into a bar, and um, they they walked into the bar and they found their old mate Nasrud. 
Excellent. Yeah, Nasrudin. he knows how to rest. Oh, Nasrudin. <laughs> well, Nasrudin was really he was lounging back. He was uh, sipping on a cocktail. He was you know, and, and they went to Nasrudin and you know, they, you know, they're like, hey, what you doing? You look like having a good time. And he, he was like, yeah, yeah, no, I actually today I entered a laziness competition and I won. Right. I, I came, came yeah, yeah. first place, and they're like, oh. That, that that's amazing like you know that, that's an awesome thing well done Nasrudin. like like what did you win and Nasrudin's like oh yeah i won a trophy what am i missing well because he wins he wins a trophy but it's also atrophy oh <laughs> maybe that works a bit better written <laughs> yeah yeah it's a, it's a written joke but... <laughs> oh dear a trophy <laughs> Uh, if you have suggestions for improvements to the quality of jokes in the podcast, please, dear God, please send them to christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. Our music today is by Kevin McLeod, the, uh, the, the least lazy musician going on out there. You can find us on Facebook. Um, we walk into a bar once a month in Canberra. We would love to meet you there sometime. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. I think, for the benefit of the recording, that was possibly the worst joke that we've ever had.